On rocky stretches of Whidbey Island, my mother found a broken fishing line. It shined in the light that tore through the clouds, so she picked it up and held it in her right palm until the wind bit through her skin, causing her to stick her hand in her coat pocket. She said she felt the strand reach from her palm and cut right through the fabric of her pocket, burrowing itself into her side, deep within, planting itself right under her belly button. Doctors couldn't remove it, so she learned to live with it. In fact, she grew to love its thin, silky nature, its pearly white sheen. One day, it sloughed off golden seeds that scattered upon the ground when she walked. I grew from one of these seeds, sprouting up right beside her, with my own strand of fishing line attached to hers. Hello everyone, my name is Sarah Edmonds. I am the editor-in-chief of For Page and Screen magazine. I'm here today with Cecilia Kennedy. She's the author of Fishing Lines that we had the honor of publishing in our second issue. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit about what inspired Fishing Lines. I have so many things that I love about it that I will gush about later, <laughs> but I want to hear about your inspiration and your process first. Well, the one thing that um, I wanted to point out about this is just like the setting, the background. I love water. So anytime that I get to introduce water into a story or um, sometimes that's a starting point for me, you know, just kind of picturing a scene. And in this case, um, you know, I lived in Ohio all my life, but we moved here to the Pacific Northwest, the greater Seattle area in 2016. And so we do get to take little trips here and there to see the Puget Sound, um, which is so refreshing and, and wonderful to do. And Whidbey Island in particular is one of our day trips. So getting on the ferry and, and going over to Whidbey Island and then walking on the beach, which is actually very rocky. Um, when I was growing up, we used to go to Florida. Um, my parents and I would vacation there. Very different kind of beach, very different landscape. And um, there would be fishermen with their lines out um, and they'd be standing on the shore. And you'd have to be like really careful to go around them because you don't want to get tangled up in the lines and you don't want to hook in your foot. Um, so that kind of image was just very present in my mind as I was writing this, that idea of the, the very thin fishing lines almost missing them, but like what it would be like to be tangled up in them, to be caught in them. Um, so that was very much an image that was um, in my brain as I was writing. But the whole of the story, though, is that point of of separation, and so of of going out on your own and and breaking away. Um, but also as a mom, um, watching my own child break away on his own, and how terrifying, but also wonderful it all is. And I remember, you know, wondering, do I have my own thoughts? Do I have um, my own wishes and, and ideas? But you discover that you do. And the child and parent role changes to ending up with that waving and watching on the shore as the child takes off. And um, so I'm just kind of transitioning into that role as well as my own child starts to finish up college and and move out and do interesting and amazing things. That's so interesting hearing you talk about it because the story is told from the child's perspective. 
So right. I think it's interesting that you kind of reverse that. You're dealing working through your own perspective from the opposite viewpoint. Um, was there a particular reason why you did that? Was it a conscious choice or is that just how it felt like it meant was meant to be? Um, I'm not sure if it was conscious or not. I think, you know, having been both, you know, the child and the mother at the same time, I remember, you know, there's those growing pains where you, you want to separate, but also now as a mom, I understand it, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's that double life that you live to some extent. Um, so yeah, um, it's, I'm not sure it was conscious, but it's just kind of like you get that, that, that different perspective, that different view. Absolutely. And I want to comment really quickly, you had mentioned about the setting, the water, this imagery that you have. Um, I have to admit, when I very first read this story, it reminded me of something that we published in our first issue, uh, Futile Wrath and Frantic Foam by Casey Carmine. They are completely different stories. Absolutely. <laughs> completely and always completely different stories. Um, but they both kind of center around this theme of water and this beach scene that is very beautiful, very haunting, and also kind of dangerous. Like mm -hmm. there's that dangerous undertone yes. to it. Yes. Yeah, very much. Yeah. I mean, I loved the ocean. I love the water, but I was always terrified of it too. I mean, like I grew up when I was six years old when Jaws came out and I wanted to see it. Like I really, really wanted to see that film so badly. And my parents took me and I hadn't even seen the shark yet. I mean, like I hadn't, I just needed to leave. <laughs> I needed to go. But years later, I finally saw it. But you know, it just, it's so there's so much that can go wrong, but there's also so much that goes right too. And, and so beautiful, but yeah, it's, um, it's a great setting. You can, you can use it for a lot of different backdrops. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that phrase you just used. There's so much that could go wrong, but there's so much that could go right. And the beauty of it, <laughs> Um, and I feel like that really embodies the story because if you break down the little details of there, it, it's kind of graphic. Like the story mm -hmm. is quite graphic. There's a lot of body imagery. There's a lot of, um, things that evoke an, a sense of pain. Yes. But the story overall is very, very beautiful. It feels violent and gentle at the same time. I absolutely love that about it, but I wonder how it was trying to balance that when you were writing it. You know, I did go through a couple different times because there were times where I was like, you know what, it's just starting to sound too much. And I would, you know, pull back a little bit and really think about well, what is it that I'm, I'm trying to do and transitions are painful. They really are. And, um, and you do kind of bleed inside emotionally and, and whatnot, but at the same time, there's so much out there um, that's good. And, um, whether you're leaving or watching somebody leave, um, these are new beginnings as well. Absolutely. I think that's such a beautiful thing. Um, now in your other writing and your other work, do you 
deal with similar themes? Is this kind of a one-off? Do you have any themes that carry across your other work? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I do love water. I I do um, tend to put a lot of water into my work. Um, things that grow from other things. So I write horror stories too. So things that grow and transform in all kinds of different ways with different consequences. Um, there's a story that came out in Hearth and Coffin um, just this week that um, I wrote. It was called Sweet Nothings. And the theme for the call, oh, thank you. <laughs> the theme for the call was consume. And um, so the narrator consumes and loves to consume every kind of thing ad that comes out on Facebook or like whatever pops up online and you know it tastes sweet it's wonderful and she consumes all of this you know and then it just kind of takes on a life of its own with its own consequences so that kind these kinds of connections where you know maybe something just doesn't feel so good anymore (laughs) and then um there's another one that was a body horror issue it was an anthology it was a few years ago blood and bone anthology of body horror and there was a story that i had in there called the globe it was another one of those things where after a surgery um the narrator gets these you know growths and globules and things that just kind of you know stay with her there's there's also that kind of you learn to live with things like they bother you but you're just kind of like "Eh, I'll I'll deal with it it's like that one light bulb that won't you know turn on and you're just like I I just don't even feel like you know fixing it I'll live without it you know (laughs) so you Characters who just kind of live with things and say, eh, it's no big deal. (laughs) Those kinds of things. So those have become themes as well, I think. Yeah. And and that last one is so relatable. I know we all love the things (laughs) that would be would be the person to be like, oh, I'll fix that. Oh, we'll do that. I think most people would just live with it. I know I would. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because there's so much else on our plates that we're like, you know, that's the least of my worries. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have this pain in my foot or whatever it is, but I'll get by. I'm still walking, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Sometimes. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Because eventually you do have to pay attention to it. It does it does come to that eventually sometimes. Mm, Absolutely. Now I'm interested to hear that you're a horror writer. I have to admit, I did not know that. Super, super thrilled about it. Um, I personally consider myself a horror writer as well. Most of my films are horror. Um, I feel like a lot of people who read my writing don't wouldn't say that <laughs> um honestly like my first writing um but I know for me when I write even if it's not horror there's usually elements where I go a little more graphic than most people would or push boundaries a little more than I think people expect and hearing you say you're a horror writer now makes a lot of sense to me <laughs> this story because I can see that kind of same kind of pushing boundaries, not being afraid to say things that might make other people like cringe a little bit. And I'm curious if you find that your horror writing informs some of your other genre work or literary work. 
I think so. Um, you know, I, I'm not even sure how I got into horror writing. I, I just kind of, you know, wanted to write and it ended up being, a you know, my first things were about ghosts. I love ghosts and the paranormal and whatnot. And um, I remember watching celebrity ghost stories. There's some beautiful stories in there really about, you know, um, people who have passed on and, you know, still communicate with, um, you know, one another. And, and so there are some touching stories that reveal more than, you know, through horror. I mean, ghosts and whatnot can be kind of scary because you don't, it's the unknown. And sometimes, you know, a lot of horror stories start with, um, you know, these evil, this evil presence that like does stuff to your house and whatnot. So um, there's that element of it. But then there's also that like revelation, that transformation of the characters that, you know, what do you actually learn? What is actually there? What is the anxiety? What is the fear? What's what's you know, at the surface. So that's kind of why I love horror because there's so many layers to it. Absolutely. I agree on every single level. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you got your start in writing overall. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a long story maybe, but um, I think originally I wanted to be a news reader, newspaper reporter, or actually I wanted to be a news anchor when I was in um, middle school, grade school. So I always knew um, that I'd be writing. Um, and I was in Ohio and my parents were looking for activities for me to be in and they thought 4-H would be great. And I did like it there. Everybody thinks 4-H is like animals and farms. And I, we didn't have any of that growing up, but um, it was also like leadership and creative writing projects and public speaking projects. So I did a lot of those. I did like health and safety speaking contests, um, you know, so, you know, anything related to health and safety, like suicide prevention, um, mental health, like everything. Um, it all fell in that category. So um, I did a lot of writing um, every summer you know, for my projects. And so when I was 17, I drove over to the local newspaper, which was the Delaware Gazette in Delaware, Ohio. And I made a beeline for the editor's office <laughs> with a resume of my 4-H projects. <laughs> and I asked him if I could work after school once day, like once a week. And he said, sure. And so I was allowed to write stories and, and publish them in the local paper. And, um, I eventually took on more work in college, you know, some more hours while I was in college. Um, and I discovered that I liked feature writing better than objective news reporting. So I ended up majoring in English, nonfiction writing in English and also Spanish. And I ended up going on to graduate school in Spanish and I was teaching um composition and literature courses in Spanish, but then also English um, composition and literature courses in Ohio for about 20 years. And um, I moved to Snohomish. I didn't really do much writing then. I was doing academic writing. I wrote a textbook, um, but I didn't, I didn't do anything, you know, in the realm of fiction. And so when we moved here to Snohomish County for um, my husband's job, we were more than happy to move from Springfield, Ohio, to get into new scenery and, and everything and lots of opportunities. 
I couldn't find a job. <laughs> I couldn't find one in academia and I couldn't find one outside of academia. So I took on a part-time job as a writing tutor. And then I just started writing fiction. I just started writing short stories and um, a lot of flash fiction, micro fiction, and working up the nerve to send them to magazines. And then I started um, working for, I did some editing and proofreading for flash fiction magazine. And then I just now landed a full-time job with um, Funko. I've been there for a year um, as a copywriter. And so that has been really nice. But I think the one thing that pulled me out of that, like for five years, I couldn't find a job. <laughs> so the thing that pulled me out of that was the discipline of writing every day and just working all of that out. Um, and horror stories were it for me. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> you know, it, it worked out a lot of tension for me as well. So um, I love doing all those kinds of projects. And I just can't think of a better way to live my life. And I hope it doesn't have her end right now. But I know that if it does, if I do lose my job, I still have that joy of the of the fiction writing. And it just brought me a lot of joy. That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful to hear. Um, I'm curious, do you ever write creatively to the fiction writing in Spanish since you're so accomplished in it? Well, that's how I started out. I couldn't figure out how to write a story in in English. I didn't know how to to do it. And Spanish is my second language. I mean, I learned it in, in high school. Um, I didn't grow up speaking it. So my mother, my mother taught it, but we didn't speak it, you know, in the house. So I kind of did follow in her footsteps and, and become a Spanish professor for a while. But um, so when I went to write short stories in, in English, I could, I couldn't figure out what to do. So I just started writing in Spanish. And what I realized was that um, I was kind of outlining. I was just basically outlining. You're you're told never to translate. You know, don't take something that you've written in English and then try to translate it into Spanish because it doesn't quite work and it sounds like a translation. But if you take kernel ideas and try to get out kernel ideas and general ideas, um, then you're actually thinking in the language. So I would do that. And realized that what I was actually doing was writing an outline, just, you know, what, what's happening, what's the setting, what happens next, what's that turning point, and how does it end? And I wrote three stories that way in Spanish, and then I haven't done it since. But I still have a file on my computer that says short stories in Spanish, and that's where I put all of my short stories that I write. Um, but there are only three in Spanish and they're not any good. They were just, you know, my way of getting, you know, a, a handle on it, you know, to try to figure out what to do. So they're still there to remind me of my beginnings and I love it, <laughs> but I don't think they'll ever see any publication, which is fine. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. <laughs> That's fascinating. That makes me think, this is going to be such a silly connection, <laughs> but <laughs> that makes me think of um, this editing trick 
that I've heard people say where if you want to edit your story and catch all the typos, you put it in a different font. That sounds oh. like putting putting your mind in a different font. Um, to I haven't heard of that before, like putting the editing in a different font. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love that I, idea. I heard that trick. I don't even remember where I heard it, who said it. But um, it made a lot of sense to me because usually when I edit, I print work out and just the difference in medium helps me mm-hmm. see things I wouldn't have seen. And I feel like changing the font is a more paper friendly way of doing that. <laughs> yeah. I but, love that idea. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I think it works. So I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you mentioned you wrote a textbook, which is insanely impressive. Um, if Could you walk me through how your approach differs from academic writing to creative writing? I know they're two completely different beasts, but I'm just curious to hear you talk through uh, it. For the, for the textbook, it was just basically my lesson plans over the years. So a lot of it, I guess also I'm a kinetic learner. Like I love to move around and whatnot. So um for me, writing that textbook was like standing up in front of the classroom, you know, doing the things that I normally do. Um, so it was just translating that into, you know, just various lesson plans. I was teaching at a community college where the students textbooks, this was a while ago, we're talking maybe, well, maybe 2012, but textbooks, especially language textbooks, they'd come with a CD, they'd come with everything, and they were super expensive. And the students um, in this particular area wouldn't be able to afford all of that. And it was a, it was a, um, you know, just a, some, an elective that they could take, they didn't have to take it. So, um, a, a colleague and I put together this um, textbook that was more um, community oriented and that would be for community college students and also focusing on um, community service approach, but uh, like service learning, but, you know, from various perspectives that the students might have. So it was a cheaper textbook. (laughs) Um, And so it was something that we could give the students that was low cost, but also um, contain all of our favorite lesson plans. Um, So that was just more um, bits and pieces. But what I liked about it was that each section starts with a beginning and I love beginnings. So with my writing process, I love those opening lines. So it was a lot of just writing opening lines, um, first lines, each section and each chapter. So I think that's what I liked about that project. That's wonderful. And that's a wonderful goal to have with that. I remember in college taking a Spanish class, the $200 textbook. Yes. I learned this and and it was all stuff. I'm like, I learned this in high school. I just ran out of time on the placement. Why do I have to spend that much money on a textbook? (laughs) But now they have free sources. So you can get free sources now, I think, um, that are still, you know, put together by, you know, um, colleagues I I would trust (laughs) and um, they are like peer reviewed and whatnot and so these students can have some free sources too which is nice Um, it was I think they were just starting to come out when I stopped teaching Um, 
And I definitely would look into those. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'm a huge proponent of make as much as much of that free as possible. I mean, you're already mm-hmm. paying to go to college, community college. Like, it's mm-hmm. expensive. People there don't need the stress of multiple jobs just to pay for a textbook. It's right, right. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> Mini rant. <laughs> um. But yeah, would you say that your multilingual background informs your writing in any other way um, other than just the early drafting process? Uh, mm-hmm. That's an abstract question. So if you aren't sure, that's fine too. <laughs> wow, that's a great question though, because I sometimes words don't come as easily into me anymore as they used to. And sometimes I think of it in Spanish first, but sometimes I think of it in English first. And then there are a lot of um, similarities, um, you know, here and there. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, Just, I guess maybe a lot of what I do is to some degree negotiating language, um, negotiating between my experience, how much of it I want to put on paper, how much I want to reveal of myself, and, you know, how much I want um, the story to come through. And sometimes it just takes on a life of its own, which is great, too. Um, Yeah, I, I think also, when I was first writing fiction, I felt less naked in Spanish, um, like I'd be more willing to say everything um, than in English. But um, I think with the habit of writing and publishing, um, you start to just become more comfortable with having your stuff out there <laughs> um, for people to see. Absolutely, that is such a hard thing, especially when you're writing very, very personal pieces, um, like fishing lines. It's mm-hmm hard to open yourself up to the public that's mm-hmm. i this is a very famous quote and i am forgetting who said it but it's the quote about when you sit down to write you just open your vein and bleed mm-hmm. and that's how the story comes to be and <laughs> a little more literal with horror writing no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> yet to bleed into a story <laughs> um but absolutely even as you were talking about earlier with horror writing the themes and the topics are things that can be so personal Mm -hmm. Um, it makes it hard to open up and i'm curious did you do do might be the wrong word here but was there anything in particular that helped you to get comfortable with opening up sharing publication um works for publication that were personal um i think just going out and doing it like i had to work up the nerve to send things out and then um you know you you get your first rejections and then um somebody finally does take a chance on you and then it gets published and you're like everybody saw it I'm sure everyone has seen this and um, but and like I wouldn't share links with people that I knew either. And then eventually I just did. Um, And I just have gotten so used to it 
I just don't really even think about it anymore. Every once in a while I do, but luckily, um, you know, there's so much stuff on the internet that like, even if you do a search and it comes up, there's just so much other stuff out there, you know? Um, so I think just the practice of doing this over and over and over again, and, you know, just saying, you're just coming to terms with the fact that, you know, it's not always about me. It's about a shared universal experience as well. And, um, a, a connection that we feel as, as human beings, um, so it's not always about me personally, it's about shared experiences as well. So those are things that I also remember um, when I put some of those pieces out there. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important part of it too, because writing in and of itself is a very solitary thing, most of mm -hmm. the time, at least. But the goal really is that connection. You're trying to reach as many people as possible and build that connection with as many people as possible. Um, I'm curious, I know you had mentioned for your textbook that you collaborated with a colleague on that. For your fiction writing, do you ever let other people see your drafts? Do you work collaboratively with anyone or is it kind of just your own project until it's out in the world? Um, you know, I have a huge, I'm very lucky. I have a huge fan. My husband has read everything and he will tell me if he likes it or not. And if he doesn't like it, I have a hard time placing it. He actually has a good eye for what will be placed. And, um, so, and he'll tell me which ones are my favorite, his favorites. Um, and that's been really nice for us to share. It's been really fun. Um, even though, you know, some of it, he's like, I can't believe I, we're married. <laughs> like some of the horror writing is like, I'm a little scared, but, um, but yeah, he's been absolutely supportive. And then at Flash Fiction Man uh, Magazine, the managing editor there and I sometimes exchange work and, um, she gives such insightful feedback, Keely O'Shaughnessy, and she's just a fantastic writer as well. And uh, that has been such a blessing. But lately, I haven't really been sharing my writing with anybody else because I just feel like that's kind of my quiet time. And my day is so full and so busy right now that I, I just write my stuff for the week. And then I type it up and send it out. And I don't care if it gets rejected or not. I know that I put myself into it at the time and um, I'll find a place for it if it's meant to be, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, if I really, it, sometimes I get very excited about a piece and I'll share it with Nate, my husband, mm -hmm. and uh, he'll, you know, he'll get excited about it too, um, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's really, really great. Um, you had mentioned forgive me what was the name of the magazine flash fiction? flash fiction magazine flash fiction magazine um could you tell me a little bit about what it was like working with flash fiction magazine so um when i was um doing the part-time work I was an editor for them but I've moved back to proofreading so I do their proofreading because that's something like quick I can do on the weekends and still stay in touch with um the editors and other people there and still read like really great things that they pick but it's just such a really nice community I mean 
they do Zoom meetings once a week. I can't go to them now, but they do Zoom meetings once a week with each other and they talk about the craft of writing and they pick um, different angles, different things that they'll talk about, perspective, point of view, like what to look for as an editor in a submission, you know, head jumping. I forget what that is, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know what it is, but I forget the term. I think that's what it was. Um all of those kinds of things that I just didn't know because I didn't study um, editing and writing from the fiction um, perspective. So these are all things I'm learning now. And I'm, you know, just fascinated by, you know, everything, the experience that everybody brings to um, the magazine itself. So they have contests and everything and uh, they do so much work and so much good work. And it's just been a lovely group to, to stay with. So the minute I was hired full-time at um, Funco, I told them I couldn't be an editor anymore, but I'm staying as a proofreader um, because I wanted to stay in touch with all of them and, and work with them. They're great. That sounds so nice. That sounds so nice. Um, have you found that your insight there as a former editor has changed your perspective as an author when submitting? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know that I am. It's hard to edit yourself. It really is. And so I appreciate other head hopping. That's what it was. Not head jumping, head hopping. So I appreciate the perspective of other people when I submit things because I remember one time I sent this story in and one of the editors was like, but you realize that, you know, there's a hole in this story right here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I didn't even see it. And so I filled it. Right. I mean, um, and it was, it made perfect sense. It, it, it is hard, you know, to edit yourself, but sometimes I do step back and think about, all right, am I, is this getting choppy here or did, is the perspective changing somehow in a way that it shouldn't? Um, is it a little, do I need a little something in here to add, you know, uh, more breadcrumbs to what's happening? Does the action shift too fast? Um, especially when you're writing microfiction or, or fan, uh, flash fiction, sometimes, you know, all of a sudden I'm at the end and I'm like, Hmm. Did I carry that shift through enough that people will get it? So without telling them everything that happened. So yeah. Um, so there are things that I think about differently now than I did before when I was first starting uh, with just a little bit of editing insight. That's fantastic. Now this question is me being selfish because <laughs> um, flash fix fiction, microfiction are my personal Achilles heel. I, I've written two pieces. One was published. One is out in the ether. Um, <laughs> do you have any advice for writing um, flash fiction? Um, you know, I, I would say that um, the best advice that I've seen um, it, you know, because, uh, the flash fiction writing editors, you know, write craft essays too, that they send out is cut, 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 cut. Sometimes you put things in there that mean a lot to you at the, at the moment. And you love that line and you're like, but I may not need it. And it might not contribute directly 
to what's going on. So I look for those kinds of things to, to cut as well. And I'm certainly not master the form at all. I mean, I'm in awe of a lot. I've been trying to get in, get, uh, you know, some flash fiction, you know, you always have, you know, different places that you want to place, um, your works. And, um, I look at places like Wigleaf and whatnot. And I'm like, wow, how do how do they do that? Some of these authors that that do that, um, I'm definitely not there <laughs> yet. But um, I think just studying and reading everyone that you possibly can. Um, to at least that's where I am right now. Just looking at examples of things that I really like and go, oh, darn, I wish I could do that. And then, you know, try. And I feel like I get a little closer each time, but not quite there, but that's okay. Um, but mostly for me, it's looking for those lines that um, I loved at the time, but I really have to scrutinize them and get rid of them um, because they're not contributing to the main story that makes a lot of sense for sure um this is kind of changing gears um but could you talk us through what you're working on now um what's next for you well um during the pandemic i put a book out <laughs> called the places we haunt and it's a collection of short stories and i never really promoted it or anything, but um, it's out there. And I haven't done a book or anything since then, like a bigger collection or anything like that. But I do have two horror manuscripts that I sort of kind of like, and maybe want to develop. I haven't been too ambitious about it. But maybe at some point, I will pull those out of the drawer and work on them. But mostly, I enjoy that short form. I love fiction. Um, Microfiction is new for me. That is harder. I've gotten more rejections with those. Um, but I'd like to keep chipping away at it. Um, but I write a story a week. And I have for several years now, a story a week, 100 to 500 words, somewhere in there. And um, I send them out to literary magazines, get lots of rejections, but that just makes the acceptances sweeter. That's amazing. That is so impressive. <laughs> I imagine. Um, but yeah, definitely send us, if you don't mind, um, send us the link to that book and I, I'll check it out. And we can also oh, awesome. we can link it under the interview. So it's there for any listeners who want to. Yeah, it. that'd be great. I'm, I'll, I'll go and look. Actually, I could look for it here, maybe. If awesome. I have it. Let me see here. I think I do have that. Perfect. It's um, Potter's Grove Publishing. And let me see. I've got the address. I just have to copy and paste. Cool. Into the Zoom meeting. I've got to find the Zoom meeting again. Here we go. <laughs> Every time I leave the screen, it's a labyrinth. Oh, goodness. It didn't. <laughs> Oh, there we go. It didn't want to paste, but there it is. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Thank you so much. I'll be sure to add that. Um, before we get on to my last question, which might be a little repetitive, mm -hmm. is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I didn't touch on? Um, you know, it's just been such a pleasure to talk about the writing process and to talk about, you know, um, you know, editing and, um, of course, you know, all the things that, um, you know, revisions and, and, you know, all the things that 
are difficult for writers, but also such a joy as well. Um, that the whole process is messy and and you know frustrating sometimes, but also just a joy um, once mm-hmm. you have something um, that you've created. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it really, really is. There's some something addictive about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. So much, mm-hmm, there's so much rejection, but it's still worth it. No matter it is still worth it. I feel like when I finish a story, it's my gold star on the chart of the day. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. Um, Okay. So my last question, which I think I actually might have mentioned in the email, I've been kind of surprising most people with it, but I did think I do think I included this. Um, And if your answer repeats what, you said earlier, you totally don't have to repeat yourself. Um, but if you could give any one piece of advice to other writers out there, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried so hard for all my stories to have homes mm-hmm. and to keep submitting to publications, but sometimes they just don't have a home. And that's totally okay. It's okay to have writing that you think might not be up to par. It's like you create something really, really, really great. And then the next week you're like, that was not nearly as good as the one that I did last week. But it's okay. It's all about the exercise of writing and getting out what's authentic to you at the moment. And it all counts and it's all good and it's all enough. That's wonderful. That's such a wonderful, wonderful way of looking at it, honestly. Um, Because it does matter to you Mm -hmm. in the moment, even if Mm -hmm. you look back Mm -hmm. at it. uh, It does. Just the fact that it was important enough to you at that moment to write means something. It does. Yeah. And even um, if I have something that I'm like, oh, I definitely can't publish that. I can't believe I even sent it out. Um, I'm so embarrassed that I even sent this out. (laughs) There's always at least a line or there's something in there that you you can save and just like go from there. Try it in a new, new light, in a new way, or just, you know, dump it in the trash and start all over again. Um, There's nothing wrong with that as well. Um, Because, you know, nothing is truly, I don't think anything's truly fruitless. I think just the experience of doing it and, of having that moment of, uh, yeah, I didn't like it as much, but I know that I have it in me to keep doing more. That's fantastic. I, I adore that perspective. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for that advice and for being here with us today. It's been so wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk to you and to meet you. I mean, this is an amazing thing that you're doing for authors. And I just, I love the publication. I love what you're doing. This is just amazing and um, so generous and kind. Well, thank you so much.